0: Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today, I'm really excited to talk to Vanessa Fierstadt. She is the founder, owner, operator of Kintsugi Grief Center, in Pasadena. So I'm really excited because she's a local person working in the grief field. So I'm very excited to meet you and uh, welcome to the show. Yay, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here too. Yeah. So, well, I want to ask you about the name of your grief center because I think it's really interesting. I read on the website what it's about um, and I was aware of that practice in Japanese culture of repairing things. But can you talk about how you came up with that? Or what is it about your philosophy of grief that made you want to name your center Kintsugi?
1: Yeah, I sat with the name for a while, and I didn't want to be something predictable. So grief has been a part of my life for most of my life. And the other part of my life that is fairly new in the last few years is pottery and ceramics. And I was fascinated by this practice of the meaning of kintsugi, which is, you know, in the Japanese culture, pots aren't just thrown away, but they actually repair the broken pot and put it back together in a really beautiful and meaningful way. And it's more resilient than it was before it had been broken. And Mm -hmm. for me, there's something so beautiful in that metaphor, in our grief. And I think we live in our culture here we don't do a really good job supporting grief, talking about grief, that if something's wrong with us, we're kind of put to the side, you know? And so for me, it was this, I think it would speak to a lot of people. I wasn't quite sure how that would take, but um, the meaning is what people are kind of latching onto. And that was the importance for me.
0: Yeah. As you're explaining that, I love thinking about, like my mind just went to how um, there's a grief happens when you break something something you love and it's true that when you repair it it kind of has a little more character Mm. a little more love it's not perfect anymore it's sometimes I love it even more
1: right yeah right and I think there's something really neat to that it's kind of and that's part of like meaning through mending something that you actually do with your own hands, in this case, kintsugi, or with your own heart, in this case, healing. So this is actually something that we're going to be bringing in for the nonprofit and doing kintsugi classes uh, with a Japanese instructor. Mm. So people can either bring their pieces mm-hmm. that they have, or we can do um, different workshops where people come in and kind of break things in the workshop, like a um, a, a tile, for instance, or mm-hmm. something simple, you know, and be able to repair it right. in that way. And I think right. there's something really meaningful for a lot of people. Yeah. In doing that. I think that's the other part, too, is that, you know, there's there's talk therapy and there's group therapy, which are all really necessary and beautiful in their own way, but I think there's a lot of things in grief we can't say. Mm. And I think in this kintsugi practice, and it's kind of like art therapy. It's like yeah. that that experiential part that people really find meaningful. Yeah, yeah. So in actual traditional Japanese kintsugi, it's a very long process. And there's an actual um, substance called uh, yur- yurushi. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but that actually goes into the cracks. And then you actually put the gold powder on top of it and kind of dust it. Oh, okay. And so the gold sticks to that substance. Okay. And there's boxes that you can put the piece in and rest and sit. Um, so the actual process is quite extensive, yeah, and it is very much, I think, of kind of meditative mm. practice that it can take over a few days. Mm-hmm. For the purposes of doing kintsugi, in other ways, you know, they have these different kits that you can get, and okay. you can do it with things like epoxy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then gold powder on top of that, or okay. add gold powder into the epoxy. So it just okay. depends on where you're at and how much time you have you know and want to kind of commit to it right
0: but i love that i love those gold lines because they are so beautiful and it's like the piece gets transformed into something new which is such a great metaphor for grief which is like you're you know you may feel broken but really so much of you is just growing and getting stronger and you're Adding like beauty and depth to your life.
1: Yeah, I think there's something so meaningful about that. You mm-hmm. know, I think that for a lot of us who move through the journey of grief, it's it's yes, it's dark and it's hard and it's cloudy, but I also think that there's a lot of beauty in yeah. in it and a lot of joy in it, and if we allow it to come in. Yeah, and so I think that's why the kintsugi pieces is so meaningful to me is it, it's kind of highlighting our pain, but also highlighting the beauty that comes from the relationship with our person. Yeah. Yeah. As we live the rest of our life. Yeah. So going back,
0: you said grief has been a part of your life for all of your life. Like tell us where, where it started.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, early, I mean, if we're talking child, and because I know you focus a lot on yeah. adolescent, mm-hmm. I think the first loss, and I talk about this with a lot of people, if we're if we're lucky, I guess to say, is a pet, right? When we're young, mm. I remember my first pet dying when I was seven, mm. and thinking I had this, ex, you know, kind of existential crisis about life and death, and it was like the first thing in my life that I, mm. you know, connected with, and. I really went through a depressive episode. Mm. I'm really grateful at the time that my parents allowed me to kind of be part of the the process of her being buried in the backyard and me writing her letters. And, mm. you know, but that was the first loss in my life. Um, and then grandparents. And then I met, I met Greg. And Greg was uh, the light of my life. I was early 20s when I met Greg. I met Greg at a house party. Mm. That my brother was throwing that my parents didn't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was happening in our house. And he was um, playing music in our living room. And I was just in awe of his presence, his energy. And uh, we we kind of, it was like like, kind of summer of love. You know, we kind of fell in love that summer. And Mm. when I had met Greg, he had been already diagnosed with a very rare type of cancer called Ewing sarcoma. When he was in his 20s. so I met him. Mm. He was a little bit older than me, and I'd met him when he was already in remission. And you know, you're young. You're like, we're going to be, you know, we're going to live life. It's going to be great. The cancer's behind us. Mm. And ultimately, his cancer came back multiple times in our relationship. And Ewing's is a, a predominantly a bone cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it moves into soft tissue, that's when it becomes really kind of dangerous and lethal, as if the rest of it wasn't already. Right. Um, but it went from his his ribs into his lungs. And so that's when kind of things mm-hmm. got really risky and scary. And so, yeah, we, uh, let's see, I'm trying to think. So this was 2012. It's funny and grief. My timelines are, even now, after talking mm-hmm. about it for a long time. Yeah. Kind of.
0: Yeah. What happened
1: in 2012? He, they told us that um, he he didn't believe in asking them about how much time. Yeah. That he had. But I'm with she, him. What's that? Yeah. Come with him on yeah. that, yeah. But I knew something was really wrong when he did. Hmm. And they told him that he had about a few months hmm. to live. And we were in the hospital room with it was me, his mom, the oncologist, and she said, I want to give you time to decide what you want to do. Do you want to go on a trip? Do you wanna go, you know, go home, like spend time. Um, they left, we sat together. And he said, you know what I wanna do, right? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And the oncologist came back in and he said, I'm gonna marry the love of my life, Mm. so make it happen. And we got married within a few days of that and he couldn't leave the hospital at that time. Mm. So they brought someone in to fit him for his tux. Mm. I miraculously got a dress. Mm. People came in to fit us for our rings. Um, So it was a bit of a a whirlwind, you know, and we got married a few days later. This was September. And then he died actually a few days later. Oh, wow. So sooner than expected. So sooner than expected.
0: What I think is so interesting about what I'm hearing is that it sounds like you were curious about and interested in your own grief from a very young age you know like that the fact that you thought about your first loss as the pet loss and how you you appreciate how your parents gave you the space to kind of really honor that and then thinking about your grandparents like somehow Mm -hmm. grief was always something that was i don't want to say attractive to you but like you were interested in it it was something it was a calling maybe it was
1: yeah. Do you know what's really interesting and it's so funny? No matter how many times I talk about it, something new comes up. Mm. And just now in this moment when you said that, because this is actually the first time I've mentioned the pet loss ever. And mm. probably because you talk about adolescent grief. Yeah. And yeah. so it made me think about my young life.
0: Yeah,
1: I remember that pet loss, making this subconscious decision of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to decide to love something again. Will I make that choice?
0: mm at at seven or eight, you yeah. were thinking about that. That's amazing.
1: I remember in that moment struggling with that decision, but in, internally going, "Of course, I always knew in the back of my mind, maybe that whether it was Greg or anybody, that it was a possibility, mm-hmm. and would I still decide to have yeah. those moments of beauty and joy and yeah. love and yeah, yeah, and I think." For some people, that's really scary. Mm -hmm. But when it came to Greg, I was like, I was all in.
0: Well, that's what's so interesting is that I think as a young person to meet someone who um, had cancer, had a, you know, probably you didn't quite understand what remission meant at that time, but... But on some level, you must have, and that you were, you were like, this is the love of my life. So I think that's yeah. just interesting. Anyway, this is a very interesting way to start this conversation, but I really want to talk to you about yeah. your work, your professional life, and yeah. how you um, came around to starting the Grief Center. And you said you're starting a nonprofit as well.
1: Yeah, so Legacy, so so Kintsugi Grief Center is where we host our grief groups. And then Legacy is our nonprofit, which so is kind of like our sister nonprofit. You know, typically when grief groups happen, they're there for a period of time, usually 12 weeks, and then grief group quote-unquote graduates, then people, that's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And I always kind of had an issue with that because yeah. we don't graduate from our grief. Yeah. Our grief is with us the rest of our lives. Um, And so for me, legacy was really important because I wanted people to have a place to come mm. after group was done or commenced. Yeah. So that that part for me is so exciting. I think I've waited a really long time to kind of envision that dream about that. Mm. And I had another loss in 2022, a dear friend of mine who's actually part of our ceramics community. And we had a whole community of grievers who weren't, you know, blood related, but also didn't have a place to go. And so mm. that also made me kind of you know okay like we need more for all grievers yeah friends colleagues like you know places like that students right you know know, like I said doing doing things like where people can just come yes we're doing like grief and potlucks our first one's coming up and um and people are just so excited to come Mm. and be together Mm. um and this one's called a few of our favorite things Mm -hmm. where people are coming and bringing a dish that their loved one that reminds them of their loved one or that evokes some kind of comfort in their grief. That's great. Yeah. yeah.
0: Reminds me a little bit of Dave the Dead, just which just passed. Mm, yes, and, yeah. And uh, walking by so many of those. The
1: Ofrendas. Yeah, or we're, <laughs>
0: we're, we're, we're all these different people maybe. It's a bunch of people. Like, that. there was one at my work. So all these people that work together suddenly have probably mostly family members, but also friends, pictures all together. It's this interesting way of bringing a community together that around a topic that yeah most of us shy away from or especially right. in a work environment we don't want to bring it up but um yeah. but that idea of bringing together people to bring a dish i love that because mm. again it's like grief is hard to talk about and the more we can sort of have like photographs for day of the dead or dishes for what you're doing like things that we can talk about ways into those conversations i think it's great
1: Yeah, I think the integrating of that, and I'm big on when I do workshops for therapists or the community on grief and rituals, Mm -hmm. and that's why I think things like this are so important because, again, talking is one thing. Doing the ritual of something is another thing. So the the grief center is all sorts of grief groups. Uh, They're loss-specific, so loss of a child is together, loss of a parent is together. And then we also have an all-bereavement group, meaning if there's... People who come in who've lost a friend or lost someone who was kind of not in their family unit, mm-hmm. we come into like an all bereavement group. And that's been really interesting to have people come to yeah. that for like a colleague or someone. So yeah. people have been really called to that group too. Mm-hmm.
0: So just backing up a little bit, like what was your training? Did you go through, are, are you a therapist? Are yeah. you a social worker? Yeah.
1: So I'm a, yeah, I'm a mental health MFT mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's interesting how your own, my own grief changes your life as I think for a lot of people, things change their trajectory. Right. But when I was in grad school, I never thought I was going to get into grief. Mm hmm that was never something i thought i wanted to kind of specialize in and then i graduated and greg died and i was here in la at 26 as a young widow basically Mm. and um, it was really difficult to find a grief therapist grief groups eventually i did but it took a lot like too much Mm. time so it really made me think as a mental health professional like this is strange like, yeah. I cannot be the only person who, right. one, goes through loss right. at a young age, let alone people who go through it at any ages, right? So it really kind of threw me into this, you know, passion project, if you will. Yeah. And so I started to get more specialized training in the grief mm-hmm. in that in that way, and I still do it. It's funny. I tell people now, and this is for me, like, beautiful because I get to I, I say I get to nerd out on the thing that I love. Mm-hmm. you know and so going to grief workshops for me is like I get really excited yeah because I feel like I'm always learning yeah about different perspectives and different things and yeah I, right now I'm really into the rituals and doing some really kind of integrated work around that. Mm-hmm. So and, and this is a big part for me too. Most graduate programs, unless and there's very few who have like specialized grief, programs don't have any grief classes yeah i know and so a big part for me now is like going in i'm actually doing it next week again um to graduate programs and talking about grief work because i the other piece is even now as a therapist who's well established who's quite busy who's trying to hire other people to come in and co-facilitate the groups a lot of mental health professionals kind of shy away from it Mm. And it's been really interesting to me culturally in the mental health world to be like, what's happening? Yeah. And so I, I, just, I just did a workshop on Friday called Leaning Into the Beauty of Grief. Mm. And I'm very mindful about how I title yes. my workshops. Yeah. And everyone in the workshop was like, this is beautiful. I'm, I'm like, grief isn't just about sitting in, like we said earlier, yeah. sitting in the depth, sitting in the tears. I mean, it's a part of it. Yeah. But it's not all of it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And even getting in there... It's not. It's not all bad when you're in that really sad, horrible place. It isn't all bad. It's just it's a rich, rich, layered experience. Uh, But we just have a lot of resistance to it. That's what I find when I talk to people, and they're like, "Ooh, you know." I'm like, "That's just your resistance. That's your fear. That's your Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to."
1: And like you said earlier, this is kind of the weaving thread in today is like. I, I think it's a big part of how our family dynamics, how our culture, how were we allowed to grieve from an early age and how does that form our leaning in or leaning out mm. into that process, right? Yeah. I, was, I was able to lean in early.
0: Yeah, and what do you, th- I was going to ask you that. Like what it, you said you, you really appreciated what your parents, how your parents kind of gave you that space. What do you attribute that to? Was there something in their experience or it's just their way that they were, the way they parented?
1: Yeah, I think the way in which they parented, I think there was a lot of nurturing and also a space to just allow me to be in it.
0: Mm.
1: Not rush you past. Yeah, it. not rush me past. They they let me be sad. Yeah. They let me be sad. They let me. I mean, they checked in. I think they were there were some moments where they were like, "Oh, like we're worried about her, you know." Mm. But they also prompted me and encouraged me to write about it mm. and to do and again part of that you know, we're going to bury her. Do you want to put, you do, writing notes to her? Do you want to put your favorite mm. flowers in? Do you want to send, you know? And so I think there was a cultivation around the way in which that happened. Yeah. Which they gave permission to include me and yeah. not just, right. you know, send her off in a box and I never saw her again. right? Which I think is really brave. You know, I think there's not, again, I think about that now. And I, you're. that's a good question to ask them. Mm-hmm. Like, they weren't scared to let me in. Right. right. And did that have to do with early yeah. parts of their life? Yeah. Where they lost early and wanted to be part of, right. or needed that, so they right. let me be a part of it.
0: Yeah. And so, in your work, do you work with families around bereavement? You, have you worked with kids? Like, what no. is it? what have you learned about how parents can support grieving kids at all?
1: Yeah, I think yeah absolutely I've worked with all all ages Mm -hmm. in the grief process mainly individuals now but I think there is this absolute need to be as we're talking about to be open with our children and not shield them from the pain because they're already in it yeah they're already experiencing it you know and to help them encourage them talk about it encourage them to express we know that kids are like great at doing art and that's a huge like yeah and a safe container for them to process their feelings yeah around grief there's as we know now tons and beautiful books about grief for kids you know but i think not shutting them down i also think allowing them like we're talking about to be part of Mm -hmm. rituals celebrations of life right you know i think sometimes there's this fear of well if we let them do that they're going to have nightmares if we let them do that they're gonna, you know, be more depressed. And I think it's the opposite. Yeah. We kind of know that. I mean, yeah, you know, they they suppress it, they you know, and it come but it comes up later. Yeah. And and I think the verbiage is important. Yeah. How we talk about saying the word dead, saying died mm-hmm. for her, you know, and so I think being able to that concrete, yeah, but gentle, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it seems to me that it's really more popular these days to say passed. Mm. Somebody passed. I just hear that more and more and more. They passed. They passed over. And I'm curious what your feelings are about that word. I'm sure you don't have judgment around it, but just personally, I don't love it. Mm. I think it's because when my mom died back in the 70s, it was very common to say she passed away. She passed away. And I didn't like it because I wanted to, people to say she's dead. Please just say she's dead. Like, as a kid, I really wanted mm. that concreteness. I could almost sense and I was almost uh, suspicious of of the adults around me trying to soften it. Mm. Say, oh, she passed away. It sounds easier. It sounds nicer. But now I'm noticing when people say passed, I think they're talking about, like, going on to the next thing. There, It's an indication that, like, life isn't. Over, it's life takes a new form or something. Um, which you know, everybody's allowed to have all their own beliefs, and I certainly have my own. But there's something about that word past that just doesn't sit right with me. I don't, I'm just curious what you think about it.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think saying the word dead and died for people is too abrupt for them. They think that they're hurting us in some way, but Mm -hmm. for us, it's like, yeah, like that's what happened, right? When you're in it, so I think it's. Protection. I also think that the word past is like people have feelings about it because they're like, well, no, my person's still here with me in a sense. Right. Their physical form died. Yeah. But their presence didn't pass. Their Mm -hmm. presence is very much with me. Yeah. And so I think that's really important for people to be like, no, like Mm -hmm. passed away is like, oh, they're gone. Like, but they're not gone to me. Mm -hmm. And that for me is that work we do continuation of bonds which we call is you know that your physical form might not be here but the connection that I have with you is very much alive
0: yeah thank you for that I think you're right that's exactly what's good about it that's helpful for me to to break that association I have with passed away Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah 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 also thank you for saying kids make great art or I don't know you said something like that and you know I'm an art teacher um that's my day Mm. job and I deal with parents all the time who don't think their kids are good artists. And that's why they're bringing them to an art class. They're like, he's not good at art. I'm, I'm, he needs to take art class. <laughs> and I'm always just laughing, like, actually, these kids are the best artists that's in the right. world. They're, they're amazing. They're all good. They're all amazing. Like, kids are great artists, period. That doesn't mean they have to go into art as a profession. Right. but But that part of them that is creative, that's visual, that wants to just draw is really strong all through childhood. And I think when parents are judgmental about that or they, they don't see it in their own child, it's because of their own mm-hmm. weird hangups around art. So yeah, I think for, you know, obviously this, this podcast is aimed at people who are trying to figure out how to parent a kid who's grieving. Yes, art is a huge part of how they can communicate, how they can express themselves in ways, like you said, they're they're not going to be very verbal, they're not going to mm-hmm. know how to put words to all their feelings, so making stuff, it doesn't have to be drawing, it could be anything is a great way for them right. to process.
1: I'm a, I'm a big collage person. Mm. So I think even and kids love that like, yeah. let's rip up the magazine. Let's get the, you know, and finding I'm gonna say this, I know we're focusing on kids, but adults as well. And yeah. it's interesting that you bring this up because I think this is a big part of it. I think that some people want to shield their grieving from their children because they're concerned that it's gonna be more painful if my child sees me grieve.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's necessary. I think the family needs to be able to grieve together. Everyone in a family unit grieves differently. Yeah. But I think it's important that we witness each other in that space, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
0: Absolutely. I mean, my family was so interesting. I think, you know, not better or worse than other families, but, um, you know, my dad's idea was, let's all go grieve for a month, and then we'll come back. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we'll just... Move on, you know, right. um, and so I really that was all I really saw of my dad's grief was mm. that one month and um, and as a teenager, the last thing I wanted really was to be around my dad's grief and it's it's like teenagers that's why I focus on adolescent grief teenagers are a particular breed of person and they're in the midst of this separation so they're so sort of anything to do with their parents is kind of important to them um, which is why it's so weird to lose a parent at that age because like in my case I wasn't getting along with my mother when she died so it's really complicated but um, but I think like over the long term, it's really important that kids see, yes, their family members grieving. And yeah, the idea of like grieving together could be really, um, abhorrent is a good word, um, to a teen, but to keep, to keep at it, to keep trying, because I do think it's important. And I think it's probably very healthy to grieve together And to find ways to find common ground in your grief, not all the time, but just in moments.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think like you said that too, I think being able to have an open forum and space to say like, I thought about mom today because this thing happened and like to be able to just have room for you to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of places where adolescents don't or kids don't have the space. Yeah. To talk about like, oh, I saw this thing or I saw the butterfly and it made me think of mom, you know, and to be able to express that in those ways, I think is really necessary. Like you said, healthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: It feels sort of like a non sequitur, but it did pop in my mind while we were talking. How do you think about depression as part of grief? I know I've read that kids who have an early grief experience, the rates of depression for them are very high and anxiety. And that's certainly true for me. And, but we talk about depression, you know, in stage theory of grief, it's one of the stages, like as if you might be depressed for a little bit, you know? Right. (laughs) But I'm just curious what you think about it in terms of I don't know, just part of the grief process. How do you think about depression? How do you talk to clients about it?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think it's not a very, I don't think it's clear cut Yeah, at all. Because I, th- I also think it depends on our predispositions as well, mm-hmm. kind of from an epigenetic factor. Yeah. Like, what are we predisposed to? What was our family history? Yeah. How did we in our, you know, in our lifetime get through difficult moments? You know, this right. type of a thing. I tend to, I tend to be more of like a melancholic person naturally. It's just mm. part of who I am. And so I I always kind of leaned into that, but it never took me into like a scary place, mm. right But I think that it absolutely can. And I think this this is when I know grief is not right. a mental health disorder right um, but I think we can have the propensity to stay in, stay in the darkness if we're not getting support. And I think that's very much a true thing, which is kind of the complex we know complex bereavement disorder, right, is in the DSM now. And I think that's really what that is about, you know. Um, but I tell people this is a part. This is a part of it. There's no way I'm gonna go through this process, yeah, and not feel depressed,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not feel sad, yeah. And I, for me, the biggest thing is we have to lean into that, yeah we have to like i like you said whether it's through talk therapy whether it's through art right. whether through kintsugi or doing ritual that we have to be able to express that pain yeah otherwise yes i do believe that it stays in us mm-hmm. and can get you know kind of cemented and yeah. it's harder it's harder to go back mm-hmm. and kind of break that up right right you know so i tell people to lean and this is why i'm so big on it's interesting like the crying thing mm. <laughs> i say the crying thing but it it's it comes up so much that we don't, even when I'm talking to people that they just want to wipe the tears away as they're coming. And I'm like, can we put the tissue like on the side mm-hmm. and just let the tears, what is it? Can you just experience the tears coming, mm-hmm. let them flow yeah, without having to wipe them away so fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this for me is like very metaphorical and not depressive. It's like, "Can is it okay for us to, as we know, mm-hmm. to kind of sit in that? Yeah. Um so And and that's the thing, people come in and say, you know, do you think I should speak to a psychiatrist? And I think in early grief, if we're struggling to function, if we're struggling yeah. to sleep, if we're struggling to eat, absolutely. Yeah. But most of the time for most people they're gonna they're going to go through their grief process and then titrate off. Yeah. And be able to function yeah. in their life again.
0: Yeah. I think what's tricky about depression is that it's it's corrosive to your self-esteem. That mm. that's really where depression is. It can be scary. Is that sense of I'm not good. You know, it's one thing to feel sad, but it's another to feel I'm not good. I'm not right. a good person, or I don't. Des- I don't have value, or I don't. You know. You know. Obviously, at the extreme end, I don't deserve to be here, or I'm. You know, I'm a burden on my family. Those kinds of that kind of deep depression has really nothing to do with sadness i don't know what it is it's it's its own thing you know and i think it's really scary when it happens with kids because they're already not wanting to talk if you're feeling low about yourself it's hard to share that mm-hmm. you know
1: what i really appreciate what you saying that is i think it also is important to give to have parents be able to talk to kiddos about just the idea of the existential part of death and dying yeah So that they can give room and space for a kid to be like, oh, like, it's okay for me to talk about death. Mm -hmm. It's okay for me to talk about, I thought about me dying today. Yeah. You know, and really giving room for that. Yeah. Because it's like, well, of course we want to talk about it. Because there's no way that we don't go through grief and not think about our other loved ones or friends dying. Or our own death. Or our own death. Yeah. And I think creating, and I think there's a lot of, it's the opposite of what, you know, cultures kind of says in terms of our culture anyway like don't talk about it yeah but the opposite is true we need to be able to talk about it to create safe spaces so you can get your kid into a group where they're with other kids yeah Who are saying yeah like i don't want to die but i thought about being with my person today mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's a very normal and natural healthy thing yeah so i appreciate that i think that's creating more spaces yeah, to openly talk about it and not be afraid.
0: Yeah, because we're just not around that much death. I right. mean, historically, they're through periods of war or famine or, or pandemics like we just had, I mean, I think that was so interesting because suddenly there was a lot of death around right. us. You know, if you live on a farm, you'd be around a lot of death.
1: Or, you know. And creating more room for it. You know, I, I remember as a kid seeing hearses all the time. We don't see them. And we don't see them anymore. What do they and do? They put bodies in? Now they put, th- I'm pretty sure now, <laughs> I'm pretty sure now they're all unmarked white bands. Oh. But isn't that interesting? Yeah. And what does that say to us as a society that we're kind of, mm. you know, putting it, throwing it under the, the blanket and saying, oh, it doesn't exist.
0: Yeah. Like the idea of a hearse is sort of old fashioned. Maybe people want it people don't want that they're like Mm -hmm. I don't want to look old fashioned Mm -hmm. I want to be up to date with my white van
1: yeah you know what's so funny I saw a few months ago I saw someone driving a hearse and I got I got like not excited but I was like look there's a hearse you know because I hadn't seen one in so long oh in Pasadena yeah have you seen this one yeah there's a woman
0: who drives around in this ancient it's like in the 70s and
1: her something on the license plate is amazing I'm forgetting what it is now yeah but it's like not dead yeah I don't know that's amazing she's totally goth (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) wow but it just brings it just highlights this space that we need more space and it's healthy to have more space yeah right i'm with you
0: well this has been great i'm so glad we finally did it vanessa and um where can people find you and where can people find kintsugi grief center
1: yeah so the website is kintsugi and you can find our groups through that you can also find me on psychology today for individual therapy which is what my practice is all about and on the website for the grief groups you'll also see all the events coming up for 2024 for legacy for the nonprofit.
0: okay and you're on instagram
1: oh yes i'm on instagram kintsugi grief center on the instagram we're on facebook and linkedin
0: okay i'll put some links in the show notes so people can find you that way so. awesome. Thank you so much
1: yeah thanks for having me. it's been great
0: Thank you for listening. we really appreciate all of the reviews that people have been leaving and five star reviews are great especially on Apple podcasts and if you want to leave a comment on my sub stack that's um, gonna be in the show notes too. it's called I'm listening. And as always, I want to thank Josephine Wiggs for the music. It's from her album, We Fall.